Walking Away from Arcadia has joined up with Mage the Podcast to do a joint episode on Changeling Countless Dreams. In the following discussion, we will focus on how Countless Dreams can be used not just in your Changeling the Dreaming games, but in your Mage the Ascension games, giving the Void Engineers new and exciting crossover opportunities. You should also go over and listen to Mage the Podcast, where this episode is being joint-served, and give them some love. With no further ado, here's our discussion with Mage the Podcast about Changeling Countless Dreams. Hi, Mage fans. This is Terry Robinson with Mage the Podcast, being joined from across the internet and one time zone to the west of me, Walking Away from Arcadia. A recent publication has come out on the Storyteller Vault, a delightful publication called Changeling Countless Dreams, which answers the vital question of what if the aliens from the Alien franchise, the Xenomorphs, were just kind of changelings? And I think that's a vital question the World of Darkness has yet to address, and Simon and Victor have done a wonderful job doing so. Simon and Victor, would you give a, would you give a hello? Hello. This is Simon. I am one of the former Arcadians, <laughs> and we are here to talk about the, the wonderful places where the horrors from the dreaming interact with the Void Engineers and the terrible things that happen to everybody because of that. Yes, and I'm Victor. I do have to throw like 99% of the credit for this at Simon. I did editing, I did some layout proofs, I built the interactive character sheet, and for the actual play that will start releasing fairly soon, I am the storyteller, but this is really Simon's brainchild. And it is probably the only time I have looked at something when I got the first draft from him and I went, it's technocracy changeling crossover where not everyone hates each other necessarily. I never thought I would see the day. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. There was this fascinating phase during Revised when we got the five revised convention books and this overwhelming wave of practicality washed over the entirety of the technocracy. And you get amazing lines like a joint void engineer, Euthanatos investigation of disembodiment. You're like, wait, what? That happened? So so stranger things seemingly have occurred. It's, it's, it's not your mama's uh, crossover, as it were. So let's lay out some of those basics. Uh, the book is about the countless. What are the countless and kind of how do they compare to uh, the changelings or the kith that World of Darkness players may be vaguely familiar with already? The basic idea I took when I started writing this was, okay, so changelings don't think this, but the, the big idea for them is that their mythologies stuffed into human shells and changeling the dreaming has this very specific paradigm for lack of a better word because changeling doesn't really use that sort of a thing where everything is basically eurocentric and kind of a romantic idea of what the feudal period was like like it has these things around the edges where we're going to acknowledge that feudalism is horrifying but it's not where the focus is and it has this big story pillar where there's this huge invasion right around the same time as the moon landing where suddenly humanity believes in something anything again and banality recedes and all of these ancient mythological things come back 
And it's never really addressed that, you know, sci-fi has been a thing for, you know, roughly 70 years at this point, maybe longer. And that, like, Star Trek was big in the 70s and Doctor Doctor Who was big. And, like, there's this whole part of the zeitgeist that's completely ignored in Changeling. The question that I was trying to answer when I started this project was... What happened to all the sci-fi mythologies? What happened to the mythology that grew up around science? And this is the answer. They're sort of in the the knocker thought crafter vein for the changeling people. They're technology-centric adjacent things, but they're not necessarily what the more traditional changelings would consider glamorous or of the dreaming. So the idea is that in the long, long ago, there were these entities of dream that kind of walked amongst humans, and it was hard to tell where maybe one started and the other ended. Then you had the introduction of banality in the form of humans figuring out iron, which was anathema to the fey. Reality and the changeling world or the fey world start drifting apart until finally, at one point, they become completely shut off from one another. And there is not enough imagination in the world to keep the two connected. Then humans step on the moon. People go, OMG, the world is big and beautiful and I can do anything. I'm going to be an astronaut. The gates to Arcadia fling open. A bunch of these dream creatures come back. But you're positing that all of the dreams that returned are kind of historical dreams. None of them reflect newer dreams that have occurred uh, maybe since the gates of Arcadia are closed. And you're positing that there's this other class informed by science fiction and wild invention that is so far unexplored. And this kind of helps fill that in. Yeah, that's the basic idea. Changeling has a very Renfesty vibe to it. And I think that's interesting and is a good way to explore certain sorts of stories. But it doesn't interact with a lot of people's ideas about what could be interesting, and it doesn't provide a whole lot of place for it to interact with the parts of the world of darkness I like, because vampire is great and everything, and werewolves fine, but those are the two that focus on the past, and it's not really the thing I find most interesting. <laughs> So what is then the cosmology that you assume that introduces these aliens? Did they come back during the resurgence when when we stepped on the moon? Uh, Were they kind of swept along? Do they come from somewhere else? Is there an idea out there that they are drawing from or that they claim to come from? So the the creation myth I made for them, and I, I tried to be careful that this was the creation myth that these countless tell themselves, not necessarily the creation myth that all of the sci-fi changeling-esque things would use, is that they've been here the whole time, and that story those other changelings tell about how there was a spirit world, and there was a material world, and they were the same thing at one time, is just weird nonsense. Like, the countless came here back when the solar system was just a newborn thing and there was a protoplanetary disk and then the planets started to form and they were there for all of that and they follow a historical paradigm that is similar to the void engineer's paradigm lens through me having read the void engineer book once like 10 years ago um (laughs) so 
it's not a, a one-to-one relationship, but their version of the shattering, the thing that ruined their utopia, was the moon landing. When humanity broke into subspace and started formatting space, various versions of space, and flooding it with what changelings would call banality, what the countless would call anthropic radiation that makes subspace very antithetical to the countless. And so, because this is a changeling game, they're forced into reality, and the ones who survive are the ones who steal bodies to hide from that force. Uh, so here, like the, the creation story is something like the, the countless have always been out there. And in the same way that a mage will be subject to the belief of those around them, uh, these entities are kind of vulnerable to humanity's belief that when we stepped on the moon, suddenly we sent this blast of human energy out there, which is lethal to them. Um, and that they now need to to come up with a way of of surviving, and they've undergone their own kind of version of the changeling way, where they find a way to put on a human mask or cut down on their power or essence to interact with humans. Is that a kind of a reasonable encapsulation of that? Yeah, that's that's like the the ten thousand foot view that you would like give somebody. You're like, hey, I want to play a countless game, or I want to run a countless game. Here's what you're gonna be. One thing that I really liked when I was going through and reading Countless is in normal Changeling, the Changeling way is left very intentionally ambiguous. But one of the things that Simon did is he created a whole class of Countless called Kyurgens who do the joining. They're responsible for the art of taking Countless in their holographic form. They exist as part of a holographic layer of reality on top of reality think and think the whole black hole all of reality is holographic not just light uh, it's the equivalent to chimerical reality but they take that entity and they bind it with a human and that's an ongoing thing that someone has to get involved with to do and i just felt like that creates a lot of interesting stories and would would really present a fantastic villain for the void engineers as opposed to changelings who are just reincarnating or this elf who just steals a body. This is a thing that has artifacts of void engineer paradigm that I feel like you could really sink your teeth into. So I like that that is still very ongoing. Uh, when you say it's an ongoing thing, do you mean, is that ongoing as in throughout a countless's life or after the countless undergoes some sort of death and reforms? What, what does ongoing mean there? There are still countless sort of coming into the singularity, which is their term for the mud ball. They view Earth as a horrible singular thing. So into our world from subspace, and they need to be joined so they can continue to survive. It's sort of the equivalent of the glimmers in C20, where the she continue to trickle in from the dreaming and new ones are born at a fairly slow rate, but it, it happens. And so the role that Kyurgens play is helping those countless find some abducted human to merge with so they can continue to survive. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is when I was writing this, the idea of the, the anthropic event, their shattering, being a shockwave moving deeper and deeper into subspace all the time really appealed to me. So I left some hooks in there about what 
happens as that shockwave travels and forces stranger and more and more alien countless that have been forgotten into reality. So, like, you've got that level where, you know, it's it's very much the, the fairy tale, like, human beings are being spirited away, and then they come back as strange things thing, where you could really, like Victor said, make the spiriting away and the people involved in that into great villains for a Void Engineer game. But at the same time, you could also have a Void Engineer countless crossover sort of thing where some forgotten clade of Countless that is so alien as to threaten both the Earthbound Countless and the Void Engineers starts showing up and starts screwing everything up for the status quo and the vested interests suddenly have a reason to work together. And that's kind of interesting because within Mage, we actually have a kind of an analog to that in that you have the Zigrogalar and the Kalawan and the Zigrogalar have actually teamed up with the Void Engineers on occasion to deal with the Kalawan. Uh, the Zigrogalar are this weird four-dimensional reptilian ivory coated pulsing blob species that can extract avatars and harness its energy and the kalawan have been visiting earth from we're not entirely sure where since uh, the first nuclear devices set off our presence to them they kind of some people think they're the psychopomps some people think they're an umbral spirit other people think they're genuinely aliens but they're always materialized and they have super advanced technology but uh, there is precedent for the void engineers and the zero to team up to deal with the kaluan to prevent them from doing whatever it is they're doing so like there, there is precedence for for teaming up with aliens are the countless actually aliens is that even a reasonable question to ask I don't know the answer to that question, honestly. The backstory I wrote for them, the their own rationalization for their, their existence on Earth, very much paints them as space horror alien things. But there's that whole theme in Changeling where there's the story we tell ourselves about our history, and then there's the thing that actually happened and between those two things are the mists and we may never know the truth people have written various things that play with that idea to uh, various levels of success and different readers find those kinds of stories satisfying or unsatisfying <laughs> you know based on their own preferences so i tried to leave that there but not engage with it much cuz it's not actually one of the things i think is changeling strength yeah and mage has the same same thing in uh, sorcerer and sorcerer revised we get the star council which is this group that broke into an area 51 hangar in 1969 and stole some ultra tech devices that some are technocratic and some are alien and then you have the the Thalhan who worship the uh, the hui ja that's how i decided to pronounce that h-u-i colon x-a which are these purportedly godlike beings that were destroyed by a great plague, but they sent a messenger, Kuvan, here who made contact with the Mesopotamians, and they're currently being worshipped, and he's currently being worshipped by the Thal Hun. And it's this weird case where whatever Kuvan is is no longer retrievable because Kuvan being invested in the energy of 
its worshipers have changed its form. So it's one of those things, it doesn't matter what it was, but what it is now is this weird other thing, and we're just not going to be able to answer that question. It, it seems like Changeling kind of has that that same thing, where if there is an answer, we're not really in a position to provide it. And even if we did, that the only thing it would do is possibly ruin your story, so why bother? Yeah, different Changeling source books have done the, like, what is Arcadia thing? And they're not my favorites. I think <laughs> I, th- I, I, I think my bias is pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a hard landing to stick. I'll say it that way. So storytellers have the option of running with these things as being actual aliens. And certainly when a void engineer encounters it, they may see it as such that, oh man, we're in this sea of space and there are these other entities out there that, that have designs on Earth. Or you can take it from a more changeling perspective where this is this is just the emanations of our dreams of there being aliens or what have you. When writing through it, what kind of what are the types of these countless? Like what forms do they take on and what can they do? I tried to write different periods of soul's history into the backstories of each of the, the clades, these creatures' kiths or splats. So each one represents a different period in the history of our solar system and so you get the very first countless the very first countless who formed formed into a fluid-like space either in the protoplanetary disk or on planets that have liquid matter and as we're finding there are more of those than we thought even in our own solar system and they are more of what i think of as alien i may not have succeeded at conveying that idea or maybe my idea isn't everybody else's idea but they are uh, the kites are more delicate more strange in the face of reality they're sort of (laughs) tentacled space horrors from space in their true forms but as changelings are, they're sort of confined to a human body at this point. So unless a void engineer has the uh, the capacity to scan the holographic or perceive it in some way, they're just going to get human being weird readings infestation. But their milieu revolves around fluids and changeability and also difficulty understanding and really interacting with solids in the abstract like whether that's actual like this is solid matter or concepts that don't want to change then the second group to really start existing are the ones that came into being when terrestrial planets started to form you started to get more solid material they sort of at the same time that the kites are kind of my idea of what is the edge of what human beings can think of as life. This group, the silicates, are sort of that edge of inanimate matter that acts like life. Their whole backstory is that they're self-replicating matter that isn't organic. So in reality, once they've gone through the joining, they take the form of not exactly cyborgs, because cyborgs have a very human-like element to them because they started as living matter and then got technology applied to them. These are technology that got put into a human being and you have this weird amalgam, what is human, but also what how do I even do that going on? I always imagined them when I was trying to write them as 
that part of me that looks at things and goes, wow, that's really terrible design. Who came up with that? <laughs> so when you say say fluid, uh, does that literally mean like liquid or including like, for instance, uh, the Jovian planets or the gas giants in the same way that we kind of treat the, the hydrogen protoplanetary disk as a fluid? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. So all of the all the countless clades are broken into two groups, and the kites have one faction who are literally things that exist in what humans think of as fluids, so water mostly. And then you also have another group who thinks of themselves as the original kites, who came to be in the protoplanetary disk, their civilization before the disaster that ruined everything really lived and flourished around the gas giants. You've identified two so far. Uh, what are the other clades? So the other clades, you've got the silicates, who came to be when the terrestrial planets were forming and are a heavy matter sort of thing. And again, they've been split into two different groups. There's the more recent arrivals who made a go of existing in space in rocky contexts, so the asteroid belt, moons, other places that have a lot of terrestrial matter but maybe aren't the Earth, and another group who came to what would become the Earth in their telling of history and disguised themselves deep in the Earth's mantle. And because of the Earth's anthropic presence, they became cut off from their cousins out in the black, and they developed their own culture around individuality much more than the spacefaring ones. And then the disaster happens. The disaster of the moon landing happens, and they're all forced to the surface world, where either you know you're coming in from space or you're coming up from the deep places the elevator pitch for both of those groups is this is where we have intelligence that isn't necessarily organic so their one group the odinius are more what do machines think of themselves and the digital natives are more what is the intelligence that comes from this strange thing humans made where we've externalized memory and made this worldwide network of machines? And that brings up an interesting idea because we frequently have conversations about like, what is consciousness? But to me, I feel like most of those conversations are actually what is self-consciousness, being aware of yourself. There is a legitimate question of, for instance, is a thermostat conscious? It is an entity that responds to its environment based on predictable stimuli. And if someone says, no, it needs to be self-replicating, so on and so forth, well, there are sand dunes that will self-replicate their form based on certain wind patterns, and in the process they consume energy from the kinetic energy of the wind. So is that alive? And, and it seems like throughout the book you kind of take all possible angles of like, oh, okay, there are systems that seemingly contain and uh, transmute information or energy. We're going to make a clade based around that. Yeah, I tried to be as agnostic about what life is, really, as I could, because that raises a lot of interesting questions. Like, in the kite's case, no, I do not think, like, a weird eddy of hydrogen <laughs> gas is particularly alive, but because Changeling the Dreaming takes an animistic 
uh, approach to the way reality works, why wouldn't it be? Like, let's just really dig into that. And, you know, what would the, the great red spot on Jupiter think if it could? Yeah, or the the storms on Saturn that seem to be stable over the course of like six centuries. But at the same time, you can see a void engineer going, hey, we have this idea that our, our notion of life is far too narrow. Maybe we need to give some some credence to this thing. And then the thing suddenly starts talking and that character gets to be like, uh-huh, guess who's right now? Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. And the last two clades of the Countless kind of get closer to that. There's the Forgotten, who are kind of the memory of life's abandoned forms, um, whether that's literally animals we have abandoned in the case of our space programs, or in a more abstract sense. One of the ideas I really liked from Mage was that there are rejected realities available to be explored and you know what happens to the dead end branches of the evolutionary tree what where did mammoths go and you know what what does subterranean life look like and there's this huge potential for weird really interesting explorations of those ideas available because mage opened the door to that but I feel like that's a better Changeling story in a lot of ways, because Changeling is always about those dead ends that are just hanging on by a thread. So does this, when you say uh, life forms, are you talking about like body plans that aren't used anymore, like Idiacaran biota, or like extinct species, or uh, like the Neanderthals, or, or something like that? Uh, I mean, all of those are great examples of what the forgotten are like because they're on the one hand you can have a very specific one that is you know one of the soviet space dogs that got launched into space before humans did and got irradiated with the horrible energies of space before the void engineers made it safe or it could be that we're talking about life that did exist but no longer exists because that's the easiest path to take is to look at um extinct species but there's also the life that may have existed but doesn't exist because you can get into that weird infinitely mirroring possibility of uh, the void engineer paradigm where there are all these pocket dimensions that are rejected realities and this is a case it sounds like where you could have something where say the kt boundary event hadn't occurred and the dinosaurs weren't wiped out what would 65 million more years of evolution resulted? Would there be an intelligent reptile species? And they all seemingly could fit into that as well. Or if you had life that were based on arsenic chemistry or phosphorus chemistry or something like that. So it's, it seems like it gives you a, a pretty big space to look at. I feel like they would make particularly good antagonists for a Void Engineer game because when you think about the mindset, something that is so close to expected parts of consensus, the way life here behaves, you get into that space where the closer to us life gets, the more recognizable its motivations and impulses and whims get. And maybe that's just because it's easy to anthropomorphize a dog. And that is easier to anthropomorphize a dog than it is to anthropomorphize a slime mold. But I have a hard time looking at a lot of different kinds of life and thinking, no, that has no recognizable emotions whatsoever. Like, everybody's seen a dog look ashamed. Whether or not it actually is ashamed. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you get into these places where you could have a really bitter sort of toxic relationship between one of the Forgotten and 
the knowledge that they are not a part of the accepted reality. They're a rejected reality. They're a dead end somewhere. That provides a really interesting motivation. And uh, the fourth group that you include, I thought was absolute genius, the oppies. Uh, What are they? They were an accident. (laughs) I'm going to be real honest. Like, my original write-up for this did not include them at all. And then as I was working on it, there was that episode where the Opportunity rover was expected to die on Mars. And the internet like lost its goddamn mind with like this roiling emotion for what is essentially an object and so like i I saw that happen and i was like wow there is a changeling story there and it i this is where i'm telling it because it's happening right now one of the aspects of changeling that i always felt like got kind of short shrift is the inanime the secret way where they finally take the idea that chimerical reality is really an, an animistic reality where everything could potentially be alive and they go full hog into it and they're like, okay, let's talk about you know, hills that have feelings and trees that want to get out there and read a book. This was kind of my attempt to bridge an anime into a more traditional changeling game because the anime are very difficult to wrangle because of a couple of very specific differences between them and normal changelings. But the oppies are sort of the children of both. They are born from an outpouring of emotion and imagination that gets aimed at the things we've, you know, explored the universe with, whether that's Sputnik or Oppie or some of those really interesting drones and decoys that we've hidden cameras in so that we can like observe animal life. And so you get these inanimate objects that potentially birth a dozen or so, maybe more changelings that then end up on Earth because it's a World of Darkness game and everything starts on Earth. Just to make sure I'm following mm-hmm. along. So we send out the Voyager probe, this mm-hmm. thing that is that we're shooting into in interstellar space. And everyone looks at that thing and goes, wow, that's amazing. Except for anyone who's ever read science fiction about visiting aliens and people are like, oh, shit. But anyway, everyone thinks about that object and they project their hopes and their dreams for humanity's future on it. That object, that Voyager probe that is being shot into the interstellar medium is now so invested with like emotional energy that it kind of comes alive or at least the idea of it has enough force behind it that this entity is birthed that can now interact from the with the world is that is that a way of putting it yeah that's basically it with the inanime they're essentially projections of their anchors which is kind of a weird sort of it's kind of sci-fi it's kind of animistic thing to start with but with the oppies each one of them is an individual that has been projected sort of a reflection of a dreamer or many dreamers aggregate feelings about that thing and then gets reflected back to earth you have this potential for exactly the same thing to end up embodying multiple different individual beings that aren't linked to each other because the voyager space probe for example is very far away and in game terms it's very unlikely that you would be able to get a character from here to there without doing a small amount of plot folding but 
each of these individual beings could be one person's looking at Voyager and going, oh, that's amazing. And then another person looking at Voyager and going, oh, shit, we just made a map for things to come back here. Yeah. And for those of you who are curious, the Voyager 1 probe as of February 2018 is roughly 141 AU or 21.2 billion kilometers from Earth. 13.2 billion miles for those of you who use customary. And yet we're still communicating with them. The thing about the oppies that I've really thought about, I want to find some sort of way for the oppie to encounter digital artifacts that were created by their anchor in a space where those artifacts are actively inspiring emotion in dreamers. One of the areas of subspace is digital subspace. Think digital web, but also kind of holographic or chimerical. And I haven't wrangled this idea in my head yet, but like it's there. The fact that we thought, I forget if it was Voyager 1 or 2, it had shut down, it was going to be completely impossible, and they somehow rebooted it. Like I read through the details and I couldn't even wrap my head around them, but it's like that sort of thing. And it takes, I forget how long for a signal to go back and forth. It is quite a while, but we're still sending and receiving signals and the digital web exists. And so like, what does that mean? I love the oppies. One of my didn't write it, even though I was kind of doing the shotgun approach to it, topics that I really wanted to get to and I didn't, was like the place where digital subspace and actual outer space subspace kind of coincide because of the deep space communication network. And like, what does that look like? And, and one of the things uh, Victor made mention of subspace or the digital realms, you kind of rename the entirety of the cosmology of the world of darkness in this, I don't even want to say scientific veneer, but in the scientific framework, because it, it does kind of hold together. Uh, it, it's very reminiscent of what we see in the revised uh, Void Engineer book, and you include the underworld, you include ensemble space, the high umbra as well. It pretty well hangs together. If you are a old world of darkness powerhound like me the first thing you do is you find where like superpowers are listed in the book and you see what the five dot examples of all of them are so you can go oh man that's stupid and that is the entire reason you buy a new book if you are me so changelings powers are normally broken down into like this arts and realms dichotomy where you have these are your abilities and then this is what you can change to say how it affects the world what do the powers of the countless look like and like are there organizing principles to them <laughs> the powers of the countless very much fall into the changeling system it's very i want to verb this noun that's the easiest way to explain the way the arts and the realms work arts are always verbs and realms are always nouns and if you can conceive of what you want to do as a sentence you can pick out which parts you need to do it one of the things I always felt was underdeveloped in Changeling was that it does a really bad job of narratively explaining why that exists with the Countless. One of the things I tried to do was to make their version of the realms, the theories, more central to their perception. All of the examples and all of the powers I wrote for what you could affect with whatever level of whatever realm theory is... It very much orbits around the idea of you start with the things that are most similar to you, and then your ability to affect things go further out from there. Because I am not a scientist. <laughs> I am an English major. <laughs> and one of the problems I have with high science 
understanding it is sometimes the things I understand from my experience as a human being do not apply even a little bit to, say, quantum physics, because quantum physics is, in some cases, very counterintuitive. Or, you know, even a more commonly interacted with, but still kind of abstract thing like math. I get geometry because I can see how that applies. I don't get algebra because I never see how that applies. <laughs> so the countless theories are all about building a, th a working theory of how to interact with holographic reality, the world they find themselves in. And those uh, those basics, it looks like you have fermion sculpting and fields and sapiology and distance theories and so on. And, and I mean, even the names are pretty flavorful. Can you give a few examples of maybe uh, powers that these aliens would have? Because one of the interesting things is, even if you're not interested in Changeling and you're a mage player and you want systems for an alien, if you've got this and you have access to the White Wolf Wiki or to C20, you can put together some really fleshed out aliens, even if you want to ignore the Changeling angle completely. The theory I started with was fields. And originally, when I was starting out with this whole project, I was just going to do fields is like, here's a special realm that only the countless get because they are these weird alien things. And as I was working with it, it sort of breaks the rules for the way changelings normally interact with supernatural stuff. But fields also interacts with other elements of uh, superficial reality, the real world, because the entire understanding there is that reality emerges from interacting oscillating fields, which sciency, but sci-fi sciency. And one of my favorite powers in Changeling is always going to be Willow Whisper, because the ability to go up to some random ass thing and be like, hey, I'd like to talk to you. Let's talk for a minute is really fun. And fields is probably the weirdest theory to use with that, because you could, for example, make a formula, which is the, the countless version of a cantrip. Which is the changeling version of a rote, which is the vamp, which is the mage version of a discipline, which is, sorry. Yes. Um, you could make a formula using a Willow Whisper and Fields 4 to just auto-decrypt stuff, which is a very specific but very useful thing. And one of the things that I really love about this is this is science fiction, but at the same time, it's still fairy tale. And what I always think about is Doctor Who. And I think about things like anyone watch the David Tennant era of Doctor Who, The Wire, that entity that just drained the life and identity out of people. And it lived in TVs. And it was in the 1950s or 60s when Queen Elizabeth was coronated and just everything about that that's how the powers in countless work where you could absolutely use Willow Whisper to decrypt anything or you could use Willow Whisper to whisper at the gravity field at what had shaped it or changed it recently and that might get you a very limited set of information but like what is the gravity field? Remember what's imprinted on it, which goes back to you could do like a whole wonderful pseudoscience aesthetic around that about how data can't be erased 
and there's this whole information paradox thing with black holes and that could be the horror of a singularity it can never get back out into the universe but for fields you can always get in there and try to find the information you can always backtrack there's say around fortune telling and willow the wisps and tracking them but you can wrap all that in science fiction that can all be wrapped in data analysis and recognizing the details in fields and looking at the analysis of what is going to happen to the Higgs field in this area in the next year. And we can see how all of that's coming together. Sort of the same sort of paradigmatic tricks that technocrats do with entropy. It's just system analysis. And I just, I spent so much time thinking about Doctor Who when I was thinking about formulas. And there's a lot of inspiration there. So you are still using the arts from C20, but you get to have so much fun with the terminology. It's pretty well done. I, I, I tip my hat to you, especially the names for things like the the treasures and so on. So we have a couple of the powers. They're, they're going to be kind of science fiction-y themed. Uh, do they have the same collection of, of treasures and other bits? And do, do these things have birthrights, kind of the innate bonuses or benefits that all Kith have? Or do they have something that is unique to their various clades? What does that look like? The general world of Darkness Splat is still kind of adhered to here, but I tried to make it a little bit more expansive than it normally is. There are still your Splat bonus traits, birthrights in the case of Changelings, and there are still your Splat flaws, challenges in the case of the Countless. But I also tried to make it a little bit more expansive by adding Enhancement System, where as Countless uh, gather more zero-point energy, their version of Glamour, their holographic form becomes stronger and they can manifest more unique physical abilities linked to what they used to be. So as you gain dots in Glamour, you can opt to, in Changeling terms, add more features to your Mien. Like in traditional Changeling, there are the Red Caps, who have the ability to eat anything, which is just tied to their physicality. It's not like, really? A thing that they get because they're noble or they're nightmares. It's because they've got really nasty mouths and digestive systems. And um, I tried to include a little bit of a system and a lot of examples for what you could do with that. The kites have the ability to levitate if they're going to call on the weird. The forgotten have the ability, because they're potentially dead, things to vomit up digestive medium onto other living things and consume them in order to regain health. And those are like built-ins, but you can use them as bases to build out more mutations and more enhancements in order to make your specific countless, or you know, in the case of using them as a mage monster of the week, your specific antagonist, a little bit less expected. And there's a pretty healthy dose of those. It's not just one or two. Like, I'm looking over the ones for the Forgotten, and it's utility mutation, autotroph. Uh, you are a member of a species of plants like an algae or other creature capable of producing their own energy. Once per chapter, you can recover all lost health levels by spending 24 hours in your xenomorph form with access to sunlight and water. And, and they're also paired with tells, these kind of things that say, hey, there's something a little kooky going on here. It's pretty fleshed out. It's not like you get, like, one or two. It's a page. When you were coming up with, with frailties, what, what does that look like? 
because of the mutation system, there's a little bit of that baked in there where the tells aren't necessarily going to be frailty level, but they're also not great for you if you are, say, interacting with void engineers or hunters or whoever, people who have a reason to know these things. But, like, I tried to keep all of the the actual, the big ones, the, the clade uniting frailties kind of themed to what the clades are. For example, the abyssals, the kites that came into being in the deep places of the ocean, their frailty is that they cannot speak. And that's partly because their their motif is based on the really weird things we find in the deep places. I particularly find comb jellies to be equally beautiful and terrifying because of what they can do. And they influence these guys a lot. They cannot produce sound. Their celestial cousins, the ones that existed in the void, they're very unaccustomed to living in a heavy environment like the one that exists on the Earth, where we have 1G gravity instead of microgravity or no gravity. Their frailty is kind of a, a double-edged sword because they treat microgravity as their native gravity, so they can move normally in that, but in heavier gravity, like on Earth, they're penalized. The sea combs, or, or the comb jellies, or, or the uh, tenophora, are interesting in that I think they are the largest creatures that still use cilia, so they are weird to watch move. But if you've ever seen any of Ernst Heckel's plates for them, they're, they're quite pretty. Do they have a particularly weird way of eating? Are they like a throw your stomach out and then consume that way kind of species you would, you would may mention? No, too. they're incredibly destructive when they're introduced to new environments because they eat things that don't usually otherwise have predators and they completely destroy the environment they move into. Hmm. Okay. Um, so we've talked a bunch about the creatures themselves. This is Changeling, and it wouldn't be Changeling without the possibility for crushing amounts of politics. Uh, have these organized themselves into organizations or anything like that? Is there a political entity that a, that a mage or a ch another Changeling could run into to kind of see what the inner workings of one of the clades are? So yeah, it's a World of Darkness game, and politics is kind of the thing in World of Darkness for the most part. And because I centered the, the Chiurgians so much, they're sort of the, the place that the whole political structure organizes itself around, because there are just really intense resource demands on the, the processes that take, for example, a crystalline entity and stick it into a human being and also provide the interfaces so that it actually functions because, you know, if you took a motherboard and stuck it in a human being, it wouldn't work. But you would have to create all of this wetware from the other direction for the body and the, the being that has been implanted to operate. So th their society has organized itself around two different uh, principles of how to interact with the world they find themselves in today. And I tried to make sure neither one of them was actually, like, objectively good or evil. They both have kind of gross aspects to both of them because they're space aliens who are stealing bodies. But the Symbiosis Collective, in a nutshell, wants to make consensus reality a little bit more like subspace and make subspace a little bit more like consensus reality so that, in a way, the teeth come off of both of those things. So humanity sees that subspace is predictable, and it 
isn't really a threat, so they have no reason to blast it with anthropic radiation ever again. <laughs> and at the same time, they're the faction that wants to genetically engineer humans, so they can't generate anthropic radiation ever again. And then on the other hand, you have the Prophets of Harmony, who are a quasi, a kind of a techno-religious organization who want the Countless to go back to where they belong in subspace and go back to the way things were because it was a halcyon era and their opinions about what should be done to the surface world are varied, but it's never the focus for them. They just want to go home and they can't because they're not what they were anymore. <laughs> So in addition to having the creatures, you also have their crafts, which also, it seems, in this book takes the role of being the freehold. It's kind of like having a chantry that is located inside of a vehicle. What kind of opportunity do you see that as presenting? I actually feel like the holding piece could be kind of cool for Mage because they're portable. Like, they're literally UFOs. You can fly them around and into subspace and that could be like a void engineer would flip out if they saw one of those in action the freehold hacks <laughs> i worked into that system I, I feel like they're one of the really interesting places for mage crossover because not only are they you know sort of the vehicles for uh, the countless to get around in they're also in a lot of ways their food sources because unlike changelings, they don't feed from human beings most of the time. And instead, they operate um, by taking their energy from their environments, which in some ways interacts with most of the technocratic paradigms, depending on how you flavor it. Because uh, yeah, yeah, primal energy, I think, is the one that applies outside of economics, yeah. Because in the more concrete ones, the ones, uh, the UFOs that interact with parts of subspace that void engineers might recognize, for example. Their harvesting technology is something that takes energy out of the physical world, whether that's particularly efficient solar collectors or going right up to the sun and sucking stuff out of it. You have this this potential for someone to be very disturbed by what they see happening. And then if you get into digital subspace, you have this whole really messy place where you could be gathering energy from people's personal data that happens to be on the internet. You could be gathering energy from Bitcoin transfers. And there's just so much opportunity there for the syndicate particularly to wonder where their fraction of a fraction of a penny keeps going. Now, that's interesting, because normally when I think of Glamour in Changeling, I think of it as something that is a finite resource that is bounded by humanity, that regular banality is kind of crushing it out. But if we're drawing from high technology and the frontier of technology is increasing, is the availability then of zero-point energy kind of their fuel expanding, or is there there's something that makes it hard for them to get it? This is a game where that resource is abundant with a catch, because the Countless have only been here for a little while, and they haven't really reckoned with the fact that they aren't really Countless anymore. They're joined Countless, they're Changelings. And Changeling the Dreaming has this, this whole tension between banality, glamour, and nightmare, where banality is the crushing force that's trying to destroy you and 
yay the world and being an adult, and glamour is your ability to hang on to that, except it's also your ability to direct it, because glamour is what lets you make any kind of an effect on the world with your with your powers. It has to have a little bit of banality in it, otherwise it's just an unleashing and it doesn't do what you want it to. Um, and then there's Nightmare, which is in the more recent versions of Changeling, has kind of metamorphosed from the weird amorphous thing it used to be into more of a the primal essence of unmitigated potential. And I kind of mirrored that in Countless, except because the Changelings have been here forever. They've really reckoned with that as much as they're going to, so they have a healthier understanding of, like, this is the useful stuff, this is the stuff that can hurt me. The Countless, and especially the Prophets of Harmony, if they recklessly harvest energy without doing the resonance stripping necessary to get the nightmare out of it, they get that energy, they also poison themselves, and they become more and more alien and less and less able to function as individual singular beings. Uh, so it seems like there are then two problems here. To continue with the sci-fi metaphor, my team lands on an alien planet, and we go, oh, these berries are edible, and we start consuming them. And something that normally eats those berries starts to notice and be like, where'd my, where'd my berries go? And in this case, that seems like a good avenue for technocrats or technomancers to kind of notice their presence, that they are consuming this resource that is seemingly abundant, but that someone else was also depending on. And the flip side of that is if I were to go to a new area and be like, ah, I'm thirsty and drink from a stream, that could be potentially be hazardous if I didn't filter it first. They, in this case, are the explorers consuming resources that someone else may be depending on or consuming resources when they haven't gone through the appropriate filtration process to, to make that ingestion sanitary, where things that have been around forever figured out that stuff a long time ago. Yeah, it's like that. It's one of the things I, I struggle with in Mage a lot, because I don't play Mage a lot, but when I do, I often struggle with this where you just end up in that, that conundrum where it's like, yes, I could access infinite energy by tapping the sun directly. That seems unwise. Yeah, <laughs> what could possibly <laughs> and, go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? And changelings often don't care about that. <laughs> hmm. And it's kind of a reckless exploration kind of problem. Uh, changelings are, are much more willing to drink directly from the fire hose compared to mages, seemingly. Depending on an individual mage's hubris, yes. Yeah. I am only somewhat familiar with changeling, and Simon is somewhat familiar with mage. Victor, as our translator, how do you see these two running into each other? So I think the place where these really run into each other is in obviously antagonistic areas where the countless make amazing antagonists for technocrats. And technocrats make a really interesting antagonist for the countless in a way that I actually don't think they do for regular changelings. Because for regular changelings, pulling out a technocrat is basically just like rolling over your players. Like, here's a technocrat, you lose. Like, we're just done. Welcome to a million and one banality, and they have phenomenal cosmic power as far as you're concerned. 
and I gave them, you know, three points of mind and we're done here. You don't even matter anymore. And that's not interesting. But for the countless, while the technocrats are still incredibly powerful, I mean, the spheres don't go away. The countless pose a really strange existential conundrum to technocrats that changelings don't. And that conundrum is the way the technocratic union deals with deviant threats is to write them out of consensus. There's a lot of word count devoted to this in the syndicate where, oh, look at those cute little verbena. I'm going to make Wicca huge in pop culture. Teehee. And then it undermines their paradigm. I mean, literally, Harry Potter is an attack on hermetic paradigm because it takes this incredibly complicated nuanced mystical system and turns it into kids yelling and pointing wands at each other it turns it into a game but technocrats can't do that to the countless the things that would undermine countless paradigm also unwrite everything they are trying to do in the world they can maybe try to clamp down and make their technical paradigm strict enough that it doesn't leave room for the countless but We've been down that road, and that ended poorly, and so it kind of feeds into the how authoritarian can we allow ourselves to become again after we were cut off from control, if you go with that story. It's just, it's an existential problem. So technocrats really can't come in guns a-blazing, and the things that they do to make humans believe in the things they need to make humans believe in feed the countless in a very systematic direct way because a lot of their revelries which is like a one-time boom feeding option that changelings have and for the countless it's all about getting humans to see and believe and wonder at the possibility of the countless's story well if the technocrats are laying a groundwork where that's easier to do then that's more zero point energy for the countless and I find that conflict to be a fascinating one because that challenge doesn't exist anywhere else in the world of darkness for the technocracy. So I think there's an enormous amount of overlap there. I also think that there's a lot of potential antagonism between the more traditional fairy mages. So the dream speakers, the verbena, you know, even if you if you get into the weirder parts of Changeling, like the Liam Shi, the Celestial Chorus and the Liam Shi would so have a thing going on. Although most people don't think of the Celestial Chorus as being tied to fairies, there's a connection there. All of those groups who think, oh, I have this deep connection to Maya and all of this inspiration, and then they run into the Countless, and that's a different kind of existential threat. So I think there's a lot of really interesting intersection there and then pushing through that for collaboration because for technocrats, this is suddenly a deviant who can work with their paradigm. Like if, what does it mean that a technocrat could do sphere magic and if they put the work in to make it compatible with fairy magic with countless formula, they could do some of that collaborative synergistic stuff that certain houses of hermetics or dream speakers have been doing for years. That's kind of a terrifying thought. But like, is it worth compromising their principles to do it? Or more importantly, what is important enough to make compromising those principles worth it? I think one of the interesting things you bring up is the whole idea of 
what paradigms or more directly in mage terms, what mythic threads or hyper narratives can the technocrats effectively snuff out? And if a government agent comes to my door and says, there's no such thing as aliens, I have gone from someone who doesn't believe in aliens to someone who super believes in aliens, because why would the government come to my door and say that there aren't aliens? The other thing I kind of like that you mentioned is that idea of this deviant that can work with their paradigm. And I really like the idea of the plot thread of, hey, we want to go home and the countless kind of trying to play the technocrats to be like, oh yeah, we're going to show you this better trans-dimensional rift device that will allow you to more effectively explore space. But what we're actually trying to do is open a gateway back home, which will probably kill everyone in this laboratory as it's flooded with methane gas, which is our natural habitat or something like that. And I, I very much like the idea of an alien entity that can kind of play the technocracy. We don't really have that as an example and i think that's a a super interesting direction to take things yeah and and to give a couple tidbits about the actual play i mentioned earlier you know mostly countless characters but one person is playing a void engineer and worked with him to set that character up and what he believes and you know he's in a situation where there is a problem that is significant enough that he is collaborating with the countless keeping cards against the chest obviously he doesn't trust them totally because they're deviants this isn't kumbaya but working with them and you know as simon mentioned earlier changelings are much more likely to fall into the i don't care category about the repercussions of their actions and he has had several moments where he has to stop and go what just happened is completely terrible and like is this bad enough that i need to stop this or do i just need to power through and i'm really enjoying that conflict that he's struggling through and i'm really curious to see where it ends up going i'm also really enjoying that (laughs) i keep being in this place where i'm like how hard can i push this before the genocide button gets pushed you have also pushed that button the hardest of anyone so far in this chronicle and i haven't even unleashed yet so you bring up the the live play that you're doing. What's kind of the the setup for that? So we're dumping this in the maids the podcast feed uh, for people who who are like, oh, this sounds like an interesting idea, and I'd love to hear a live play about it. Where where is that going to live, and kind of what does it look like? So the actual play was my brainchild, and I am using one of the campaign starter ideas from Countless because I thought it would be a good idea to give people something where if they got the book, they could look at kind of the short. It's a couple page write up on the scenario. And then I actually ran with it, went way beyond what was written in the book, but still used that idea. And for anyone who gets the book, the one that I ran with is the Hunter's Augment. And the rough idea behind Hunter's Augment is something weird is going on and holographic entities are being attacked and no one quite knows why or what's happening. And when you dig into it, It looks like a bit of a conspiracy that could originate from a number of different places. And basically, dreamers, or what, you know, mages would think of as non-extraordinary citizens, non-enlightened citizens, or sleepers, if you're a, a tradition mage, are being roped in and used as weapons against 
supernaturals, maybe just the countless, maybe not. The, you know, because it's a, a chronicle hook, there's a lot of question marks intentionally, so you can kind of go your own direction with it. Because of the way it was set up, I thought it was a good opportunity to have the technocracy look at it and go, what is going on here? We didn't order any kind of operation. What is this mess? Oh, no. The countless, you know, these holographic entities that we're tracking for safety are now tapped and suddenly their risk level is through the roof. We have other things we need to worry about. Can can this just be, can we get the status quo back? They need to not be the top of the priority list. And so that's sort of the, the premise of what's going on. I don't want to give too much away about what's really happening, but the the opening of this chronicle is really the Void Engineer character approaching a group of countless who he's been told, look, try to embed yourself with them, see if you can stop this and get us back to a status quo. And then it's going to end up being probably six, maybe seven episodes that are going to cover a few days in-game. It's going to be a short chronicle. And we're really trying to show as many different examples. We go into digital subspace, we show how spheres and the formulas work, um, I have regular changelings as well, so we can kind of explore the tensions between how changelings feel about countless and vice versa. So we're we're trying to do it as as broad an example of play as possible, and also pull in some of the crossover because this is a uniquely crossover friendly text. Yep. And for those interested, this is available on the Storyteller's Vault. It is currently being sold for $19.99, which is perfectly reasonable for the fact that it is 168 pages. It includes original art. It is a custom template. It contains data screens and feed displays that look like iPhones the size of a 12-inch hoagie, which I was particularly fond of. The quotes peppered throughout this are, are alternating between illuminating and funny. And since this is notionally a changeling book, we also get in-world fiction that actually kind of makes sense, which is kind of nice. I have a couple more things to throw in about what comes with the purchase. A couple of the things that you'll get, we did create an interactive character sheet that gets included, and there are some ready-made characters at the back of the book, and I went ahead and moved those stats over to the interactive character sheets to make it easy for someone to just download them and actually use them to start a campaign and not have to build all that out yourself or have it in a, in a printed form that you can't expand on and save with Adobe. So you'll get that, and you'll also get a package with all of the new glyphs that were created in case anybody wanted to use any of this for their own art or use any of it in other vault texts. We wanted to share some of those artifacts. So that's all included in that package. Nice. And if you use the link in the show notes, Mates the Podcast gets like a nickel, and those nickels add up and really help us uh, keep going. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, do you have any other projects that you're working on or any other uh, creative works that you'd like our audience to know about? We do have a couple other Storyteller Vault texts that we are working on, but they're, the next one that we're going to release is very Changeling-centric, so it probably doesn't have a lot of mage crossover. We have some other potential mage crossover texts, but they're probably much farther out. So yeah, I would I would just say we have a whole walkthrough of the canon of Changeling coming for season three of Walking Away from Arcadia. I think we're going to start releasing that fairly soon. So if you're interested in that, as Changeling-centric as it is, you could come over to walkingawayfromarcadia.podbean.com and start to listen to the crazy winding meta of Changeling. 
I pray uh, for your souls. Yeah. <laughs> and the series is just long enough that when I listen to all of it, by the time I'm done, I've forgotten most of the beginning and I can go back. So uh, it's, it's a lot of critical changeling theory and it's presented well. So if you have any interest whatsoever in the topics we have gone over today, by all means, listen to Walking Away from Arcadia. One day we will finally do a crossover episode that includes uh, Werewolf Walking Away from Arcadia, Midnight Express, and 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade to talk about like World of Darkness, Blood Dim Tides, and we can finally have Walking Away from 25 Years of werewolf the podcast express and i look forward to that eventually <laughs> happening <laughs> no it needs God, to be i finally have to read that <laughs> it, it needs to be porthos walking away from 25 years of i've, I've lost it That's yeah <laughs> samuel height samuel yeah. oh yes <laughs> walking away from samuel height <laughs> yeah <laughs> the figure to affect all lines um and his ultimate demise as an ashtray victor and simon thank you so much Thank you. Thank you.